morning, church. It's so good to be stood here. A bit nervous, but uh, good to be stood here. And uh, us together, finding out what God has for us this morning. And as you all probably know, we are continuing with the book of Ephesians. And two weeks ago, um, Nigel said, gave us a good breakup of the book of Ephesians, where he said, That chapters 1 to 3 speaks about who we are and what God has done for us and in us. And chapters 4 to 6 is a response, is our response. How do we live in response to what God has done? And Nigel covered verses 1 to 16. And today's passage for us is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 32. I think it's going to come up at the back, already has, Um, but shall we first pray that God would open up his word to us and feed us, give us the bread that he has for us today. Father God, we come before you, creator of heaven and earth. We thank you because your word says that your word is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. And today we come before you. We bring our hearts before you, Lord. May your words search our hearts and reveal the thoughts and intents of our heart, Lord. And Father God, come and do your work in us. Jesus, you are the word of God. Come and do your work in us today. We are willing. We yield to you. We thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to start reading from verse 15 because, sorry about that, Phil, (laughs) because it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to come up. It's because the word 17 has the word therefore in it. So we just have to set some things in context before we go on. So I'm going to start from verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. From verse 17, which is today's passage, this I say therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off Concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, 
but be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the learners. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So just so it's easy for us to understand and get the hang of it, um, we can split it up into three different sections. So the first section is verses 17 to 19, which talks, and I've given a little heading for that, which is ways of the world. So verses 17 to 19 talk about the ways of the world. Verses 20 to 24 talks about learning from Christ, learning Christ and acting on it. Verses 25 to 32 is details of how we pursue holiness in community. So that's the three ways I've broken up today's uh, passage. So let's first read, um, I've, I've already read 17 to 19, let's first go through the list that, of things that Paul says that the Gentiles do. And I first kind of glossed it over as oh, a list of things that people who uh, do not believe in Christ do. But I just realized how wise Paul has been in that this is a really good list to have a look at what is in that list. And when I looked at what is in that list, I realized that Paul is actually detailing the progressive degradation of society that rejects God. So society does not go into the depths of deprivation that we find sometimes in the dark web, just like that. It's a slow degradation deprivation, a degradation, a progressive degradation. So how does he start off? He starts off by saying that they, they are futile in the thinking. So it's futile. Futility means emptiness, profitless thoughts. So futile thinking leads to darkened understanding. And then people become alienated from God because they then think there is no God. We don't need God, or maybe there is one, but I don't need one. That itself takes people off. Uh, and then, because they don't believe in God, what happens is that they harden their hearts. When so, so, so many of us know when we do have sin for the first time, we feel guilty because our hearts are soft. The second time we do it, our heart gets a bit more callous. And that's what happens. It's a slow degradation, hardness of heart. And then we lose sensitivity. And after that, we become callous. Our hearts become callous. And then what happens is that people don't stop there. We then give ourselves to sensuality. If we don't have God, that is how we progressively decline. 
and lust after things that people should not lust after and indulge in every kind of impurity. And even after indulging in the worst kinds of impurity, it doesn't satisfy. People then have greed and lust for more and more and more and get more and more deprived. And that is the way of a person who rejects God, who does not have God in their thoughts. And that's what we were. We were in some, somewhere along that list of deprivation when we found Jesus, when Jesus found us. So what was really interesting about this list is that most people in society have not gone till the end. Most people in society are only numbers one or maybe two or, or three. So, so many times we do not think about these kind of people. And what God really brought to mind when I was going through this, to my mind when I was going through this list was, think about so many people who are actually good in society. They're actually good people. Most people in society are not deprived, depraved to the depths but they just don't have God in them. And I, I was so glad to hear what Frank had to say this morning. Thank you, Callum, for being brave and putting Frank on the spot because he has a heart for lost souls. And so many times we have a heart for people who are murderers and people who are, who've done really evil things. But remember, most of the friends and colleagues we work with are good people. And sometimes they, they're the charity that they do, the charitable deeds that they do are better than what even I do. And they are righteous in a way. They do the right things. And their sacrificial life sometimes is even better than what we as Christians sacrifice. So most people in the world do try to do at least good things. And so many times we appreciate the good things that people do, but we don't realize that they are lost. And that's one thing that God really opened my eyes to. What does the Bible say about those people who do really good works? Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because the glory of God is the glory that caused Isaiah to cry out, you are holy, holy, holy. He, his holiness is something that nobody can reach and nobody can even imagine how holy he is. And all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the best person among the people we know is still lost without Jesus. And that is something that we, as his children, have to wake up to. We need to realize that the rest of the Gentiles have a progressive list of degradation that's happening, that we see happening in society. And thankfully, none of us may have reached, met or been with anyone who's at the bottom of the list, hopefully. But so many of our friends and colleagues whom we meet every day and who I admire, admire the, how they are, how good they are, but they are lost without Jesus. And as a church, as God's people, we need to focus on the lost. We need to do good deeds, but we need to focus on the lost. And that's the one thing that we need to take away from that list that Paul has given to us. 
So we'll move on to the second passage now, second group of verses, which is verses 20 to 24. So verses 20 to 24, Paul then starts to give us, so just as he gave a progression of deprivation when people don't have God, he gives a progression of how to live in God in verses 20 to 24. What Paul says is that you have, these are the things that society does, these are the things that people who are deprived do, who, who do not know God do, but you have not so learned with Christ. And you have heard him, you have been taught by him, and the truth is in him. So what does he mean by saying you have not so learned Christ? And what kind of a learning is this? So when, when Paul says that you have not so learned Christ, he means to say that it's not a textual and an academic learning of theology and rules that we learn. It is a learning from God, from Jesus himself. It's a relational learning. We learn relationally from Jesus. And that's why I like what uh, Elizabeth said about us being toddlers and God teaching us. So this learning from Christ is relational. We just go to him just as a mother teaches a toddler, Jesus then teaches us. So we have to go to him like a little child and learn from him. And what does Jesus say about that? Give me one second. Of the Gentiles walk. But how do we then walk practically? How do we walk as Christians? And what does Paul, what is the plan or progression plan that Paul has given for us. He says that we have to learn Christ. And that reminds me of a verse that Callum um, brought to us a few weeks ago, Matthew 11, verses 28 to 29, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So Jesus says, we often think that we come to Jesus, and he gives us rest. He does not give us rest alone. He also gives us a yoke. So when we come to Jesus, he gives us rest, but he also gives us a yoke. And what is that yoke? That yoke is to learn from him. And we can learn from him because he's gentle and lowly in heart. He's never going to thrust a heavy burden on us. He gives us a gentle yoke to follow. And what is that gentle yoke? It is to learn from him every day, just like he learned from the Father every day. So just like Jesus spent a long time every day speaking to the Father, talking to him through the day about the decisions, about everything, I think he must have. So, because he says, I never do anything unless I see the Father do. And that is the yoke that Jesus places on our life. It is not a list of things for us to do and tick off saying, I haven't lied today, I haven't done this today. It's not a tick box list that God, Jesus asks us to do every day. He asks us to come every day and learn from him. Go to him just like a toddler goes to a mother and say, 
the toddler says, mom, do I do this? And hopefully a good toddler will do it. <laughs> Not all of them do, but that's how we just, our relationship with Jesus is just like a toddler to a mother. Shall I do this, Jesus? Shall I do that, Jesus? What do you want me to do? Yes, no, we don't need any clarifications, any analysis, any evaluation of what we are or anything, just do what Jesus tells us. So that's what Mary said to all the servants, do what he tells you, and that's all. That is the yoke that Jesus places on us. So many times I felt, as soon as I became a Christian, if Jesus would switch on a button so that I'll automatically obey him every time, how wonderful that will be. But that's controlling us like a robot, which he doesn't want us to, want to do. He wants us to go to him every day, learn from him. And that's the first thing that Paul says to us, learn from him. And we can afford to go and learn from him and do what he tells us because he's gentle and lowly. And we will find rest for us. It's so easy because so many times when we do things, we evaluate them, don't we? And we think, oh, at that time, what I did was right. What they did wasn't right. But when we just obey what Jesus tells us to do, we don't have to evaluate. We just obey. No matter what happens, he bears the responsibility. He is the decision maker. So it's such an easy life if we just do what Jesus tells us and take that yoke to learn from him every day. So that's the first thing that Paul says. And then Paul says, goes on to say, um, put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt. And in order to understand this better, I'm going to read from Romans chapter 6, verse 16 and verse 13. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin may be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Verse 13, do not present your members as instrument of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So what does putting off the old man mean? How do we practically do that? So the answer is in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 to 26. First of all, as we read in Romans chapter 6, we realize that our old man is now crucified with Christ. It's dead and gone. We refuse to acknowledge that old man once again in our lives. It is crucified, it's dead and gone. And when we read Romans chapter 3, verse uh, 23, as we read before, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Realize that even the best righteous deeds that I did and I was so proud of is nothing. It does not reach up to the glory of God. It does not reach up to the righteousness of God. We have to realize that. So many times we want to cling on to our goodness. We need to realize our best righteous deeds are nothing compared to the glory of God. And we should also know that sin in itself is not just a complete list of all the wrong things we have done. Sin is a big problem that faces all of humanity. And we also need to realize putting off the old man needs certain realizations within us. And one of the things we realize, we should really realize is that we are not sinners because we have sinned. We sin because we are sinners, because we are born in sin. And nobody can claim 
that I am quite a good person. I'm not that bad. So I can go to heaven and I don't need God. We can't. We are not sinners just because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. The world was in sin and sin. To be released from sin, we need a savior. And that's how we put off the old man. So any righteous thing we do, it's not counted. It's not worthy. And I am a sinner and I need a savior. That's how we put off our old man. And then Paul goes on to say that we need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man. So once we put off the old man, we realize that we are sinners, that any good thing we did is not going to count, it's not worthy. We then be, uh, we need to be renewed in the spirit of our mind through the word of God, because it's the word of God which washes us. And I'm going to read from Romans chapter 3, verses 24 to 26, so that we understand how to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. So verse 24 says, Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Just imagine that church being justified freely at no cost to us at all. Free, generously. God has freely justified us. And it is through his grace. What does grace mean? Undeserved favor. His favor towards us that's so full, totally undeserved, but totally generous favor and grace that he has shown to us. And the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom, that is Jesus, God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Hallelujah. All my sins have been passed over by his generous and lavish grace that he has poured in our lives. And that is what renews our minds. And the word of God washes us. That all our sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus. And I have done nothing to deserve it. And yet, I have found favor in the eyes of God. And he loves me. Hallelujah. And then what we do, we put on the new man. We put away the old. We are renewed in the spirit of our mind. And we put on the new man. Verse 26 from Romans chapter 3 says, to demonstrate, this is God, God does this, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. And also Romans 13 verse 14 says, um, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we say put on the new man, we are actually putting on the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And what does that mean? You are not righteous because you do good deeds. You do good deeds because you are righteous. And that's how we put on the new man, because we are not made righteous because of the good things we do. We do the good things because we are righteous, just as we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. In the same way, 
We do right things because we are righteous. So it's as if God has said to you now, to me, you and I, my son, my daughter, you are now fully righteous. When I see you, I see you as spotless as the Lord Jesus, as Jesus himself. You are free. You are fully, completely clean and holy. Every one of us here is a saint. We are saints in the eyes of God through the blood of Jesus. We are fully, completely. If the, if the devil is coming and saying to you, maybe you were not fully forgiven, don't believe him. He's the accuser of the brethren. That's what he drives it on every day. But you say to him, I am righteous. I am righteous and whole. I stand complete in him as the song goes. We are righteous. And because we are righteous, we do right deeds. We are not there yet. We make mistakes, but just as society kind of gets degraded progressively, we are in a progression plan to righteousness and complete holiness. We are righteous, we are holy, and we are outworking it by learning from Christ every day and being renewed in the spirit of our mind. And that is the walk we have to walk, church. It's easy. It's actually so easy. So many times we fall short because we try our best in our flesh. We kind of say to Jesus, oh, Jesus, take a holiday today. Let me try my best to do some good things, to not lie, to maybe do some work for charity. Let me do a little bit of things. And that's when we fall, don't we? We can never do anything apart from Jesus. We can do nothing. You can do nothing without Jesus. We need to abide in Jesus. We need him. And it's he as we yield ourselves to Jesus every day, he is then revealed in us. It's not us doing, it's not us becoming like Jesus, actually. That's something we, we can never do. None of us can become like Jesus. We don't even dare to think that. But as we allow Jesus more place in our lives, as we yield more and more to him, and then he comes and transforms us. And that is Christian life, and it's so easy. I'm saying this, but I know it's not. It's because, that's because there's this thing in us to say, Jesus, take a holiday today. I'll try, I'll try to please you in some way or the other. So that's the mistake we often make. We try our best to do good things. We really strive to do good things, but we can't. Jesus has said, you can do nothing without me. And in him, we can do everything. We can do the impossible in him. We need to be in Jesus. And it's more of Jesus. The more we yield to him, the more we surrender to him, that he can do more. He can transform us more. So that's the thing that we need to learn. So we do not, this holiness that comes is not by striving, as uh, Paul says, that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness, it does not come by our striving. But it's because of the transformation that Jesus brings about in us when we yield to him and when we make him the Lord of everything in our lives. So I say it's easy, but it's also hard. Because we need to consciously remember to bring everything in our lives to Jesus every day. That constant communion with Jesus is the thing. That is our battle. 
that battle is maintaining that constant abiding in him coming because after other than that it's easy he does everything for us doesn't he don't need to do anything and that is the life that Jesus has called us that's how we put on the new man and second corinthians verse 3 uh, 18 says that we are transformed from glory to glory as we do that and sometimes uh, I am learning, I'm learning, I'm very far away from where I should be. But there are times when I've said to myself, wow, I didn't think I would be this patient. And that's because actually I wasn't striving to be patient. The more I give to God, I am surprised at this transformation that I I am. Does that make sense to you? Because if we strive to do something right, then we think, ah, I've done it right. I'm glad I did that right. But if we don't strive and Jesus does it in us, we are the first people to get surprised about it. You think, wow, I would have got angry two years ago in this situation. How come I'm not angry? And I would have been so worried and anxious two years ago if I was in the situation. How come I'm so at peace or something? What's happening? And we will be the first people to get surprised. It's because Jesus does that transformation in us. It's not our striving. And that's a beautiful way to live. Okay, we will go on to the last bit. I won't take very long. I'm not going to read the long list, but I'll just kind of uh, highlight the main point. So the last bit is holiness outworking in community. How we live out our holiness, our righteousness in community. So Paul has a long list there, and each one bullet point in that list. Each point in that list is a sermon worth an hour. So so don't worry, I'm not going to keep you for that long. So he says, put away lying, speak the truth, because we belong to each other. It's not speak the truth because it's the right thing. It's because we belong to each other. It's a relational righteousness. Be angry and do not sin. So anger is not wrong. But sinning out of your anger is wrong. Anger is good. So many times anger is good. But what we do out of that anger is the thing we need to be careful. Do not give the devil a foothold. Do not steal. Do labor so that you can make more money for yourself. That's not what he says. He says, do labor so you give to the needy. No corrupt words, words that edify, bring grace. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Put away bitterness, wrath, clamor, anger, evil speaking malice, be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving each other. So when we look at all of this together, what Paul is trying to say to us here is that holiness is to be pursued in community, not in isolation. Look at what Paul is saying, what Paul is not saying. So I just thought I'd have one little um, thing in here. I don't know how many of you have seen Bambi. And I think, can anyone say what Thumper, Thumper's most famous phrase in Bambi? No? Nobody remembers? It's just me. Am I the slightly odd one who remembers these things? Yeah. Okay. So Thumper kind of does that with his legs and he says, if you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. Nobody remembers that. Okay. So... So that's what Thumper says in Bambi. If you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. Yeah? That's not what Paul is saying. So, so many times, just because we are worried about offending people, we say nothing at all. We are careful. 
So many times, because we think if we get too close to people, then we may rub them off in the wrong way and we may, some friction may happen. <laughs> we then stay away. We are very careful, very polite not to offend people, aren't we? That's not what Paul is saying at all. He doesn't say, therefore, because you should not lie to one another, it's better not to speak at all. He does not say, at the end he says, forgive each other, even as God and Christ forgave you. So if it was a utopian society that Paul was asking us to live in, he would have said, do not do any sin, so you don't need to forgive each other, isn't it? That's not what Paul is saying at all. He does not say, make a lot of money, labor for yourself, so that you can make money for yourself. He says, labor so you can give. So, this holiness is to be pursued in community. Church is not a utopian society. Church is a place where people will make mistakes, where people will hurt each other, where people will rub each other the wrong way. But church is a place where we practice forgiveness because Jesus has forgiven us. And because the love of God is poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. If you come to church and you think, oh, this is a place where I will be very loved and really feel very happy and always um, have joy and everybody will be always happy to see me, and well, you've come to the wrong place. Church is not a utopian society. There will be friction. There will be, in, in, as in every family, there will be things that needs to be discussed. However, church is a place where you should be guaranteed forgiveness. Every time you fall and you go get up and say, please forgive me, you will be forgiven. You must be forgiven. 70 times 7 is not 409. And that's just in one day. One day. Just imagine. Same Sin over and over again, you can make 400, do it 490 times, and yet you should, be, you, will be, you should be forgiven. And another thing that I want to point out in this passage is that, you know, Paul is talking about us as a community, but there are two more people in this list that we need to look at. One, lurking in our community. Remember, our community is not just flesh and blood. We have the spirit worlds as well. There's one little thing that Paul says, do not give a foothold to the devil. So in community, when we don't forgive each other, when we are not living our lives the way the Holy Spirit is asking us to, we give place to the devil. We need to watch that corner. And then on the other side, he talks about the Holy Spirit, who's also in community with us, that we should take care that we do not grieve him. It's possible to grieve him. And, and sometimes when we do something wrong, it's really good to think and think, oh, I have actually grieved God. And really grieve about the fact that we've grieved God. And Because things that we do to each other, the things, it's not just us. The Holy Spirit is grieved every time we don't live out the way Christ wants us to live. So that's what God wants to speak to us today, that holiness should be lived out in community. So how can we respond today? So I said there were three passages, three um, topics, headings that I gave to this passage. The first passage was about the ways of the world. 
And what can, what, what can our response be to that is that we will commit to seek the lost, that we will commit to see the lost among our friends and our colleagues and our families. The world just does not need just good deeds. The world needs a lot of good deeds from our part, but it's not just good deeds. The world needs a savior. And we need to see that. So many times we see the needs of the world and we are overwhelmed by it and we go and fill those needs. We must fill those needs. We are created to do good works by Jesus and he has ordained those works for us to do. But more than anything, we should have our perspective clear that the world needs a savior, not just good needs. We should, we should do good deeds, but our perspective should be they need Jesus. The best person in the world is lost without Jesus. And, and sometimes I just think some of my best friends, they are even better than me in many things and me as a Christian. And they, but God, they need you. I can't bear to see them in hell. And that should be a heart's cry every day. And the second commitment we can do today is to learn from Jesus every day. Not have a list of things to do, not to do. That's not what God wants. He wants us to learn. He wants to go to him, Father, God, about Father, what do you want me to do today? Shall I do this? Shall I call them? Shall I um, pick them up? Shall I say this? Shall I not say this? Everything we ask, we ask and we do it every day by day, minute by minute. It's very hard in a way, but it's very easy again. Yeah? So that we can commit to learn, we, we can commit to take up the yoke of Jesus. And then the third thing is we, we have to commit to pursue holiness and community. Commit to connect with one of the more deeper in the church. It's, I know that you might get hurt, we might, but commit to forgive. Commit to go back again, go back again, and keep the relationships open. So I think I'm going to end with prayer. So if we can all pray and um, the word of God is like a mirror. When, when we hear the word of God, it's as if we see our face in the mirror. And if, I, if my hair is slightly out of place, if I don't adjust it straight, then and there when the mirror is in front of me, when I leave, I forget. So today, God's word is like a mirror and God is holding up the mirror to our face. So if we close our eyes and if we commit to him, whatever he, we say that we need to set right, so we do it today. Father God, we come to you, and Lord, we thank you for the three things you say to us. And Lord, today I commit to seeing the world as a world that needs a savior, Lord. And Lord, today I commit to taking your yoke every day and learning from you, to put off the old man, to put on the new. And Lord, today I commit, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Lord, today I commit to pursue holiness and community. It's between you and God. You can make that commitment to God. And holiness and community means getting more stuck into the church. Filling up those serve cards, putting more ticks in the serve cards there. 
and joining a house group, inviting people over to your homes, visiting other people in their homes. That's holiness and community. And all the time remembering that the devil is there on one side and we won't let him in. And when we see sin being committed, we pray grace and not condemn. And at the same time, on the other side, the Holy Spirit is there. We don't want to grieve him ever. And Father God, we, as your children, gateway, we come before you this morning. Jesus, be glorified in our midst. And Jesus, may we be a community that lives out the holy purpose for which you have called us. Knit us together in you. Bring us closer to each other and to you, Lord Jesus. And Jesus, so that you may be glorified in our midst, Lord, that the world will know that we are yours by the love that we have for one another. Lord, help us not to stay away from each other because we don't want to hurt each other, Lord. Help us to get stuck in like family and to love one another, Lord, just as you have taught us. We thank you. We bless you. You are a great God. And we are righteous and complete in you. Help us to outwork that holiness, Lord. Work it out, Lord. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>